It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 817 for the 3rd of February, 2023. This week, having enjoyed an extended hospital stay late last year and an even more extended period of starting the recovery process, I learned that hospitals have changed a lot in recent years and that one absolutely essential possession to take along is a smartphone. In short circuits, sometimes system updates cause problems for users. Such was the case with an update for my Samsung smartwatch. And it's apparently not the first time Samsung has pushed out a flawed smartwatch update. When Microsoft released Windows 11 version 22H2, tabs finally became part of the file explorer. While this is a welcome new feature, my preference is still for the third-party file explorer, Qter. And 20 years ago, only on the website, once Microsoft was a software company. Then they started making add-on devices such as keyboards. Today's Microsoft hasn't gone all in on hardware, but it's a much larger part of the operation. Most of the TechBiter Worldwide programs were canceled in October. All were canceled in November and December. That's because I had a back injury, surgery, problems with blood clots, two weeks of inpatient physical therapy, and one month in an assisted living facility with more physical therapy. My smartphone turned out to be surprisingly useful. I was last in the hospital shortly after the turn of the century. The stay was just a few days, and smartphones hadn't been invented yet. So I was in for quite a surprise when the Worthington Fire Department took me to Dublin Methodist Hospital in early October. Severe back pain had put me in bed for a couple of days prior to surgery and for nearly two weeks after surgery. If you've ever thought you'd like to just lie in bed for an extended period and not do anything, please reconsider that. Audiobooks available on my smartphone without charge from the library made it possible to read a book without having to hold a book, but I found that trying to change a Facebook password while in the hospital on pain medication at 5 a.m. possibly could have been made a little easier. The most remarkable changes from my perspective have been made by hospitals. It's probably safe to say that nobody wants to be in a hospital, and it's probably accurate to say that nobody wants to suffer from a lack of information while in the hospital. Having immediate and up-to-date information about medication schedules, tests, results, and care providers goes a very long way toward addressing that issue. When I mentioned that on Facebook and said this is an excellent use of technology, a friend noted that his major complaint is being awakened frequently for medicine, tests, and such. The old, pardon me, but you have to wake up now to take your sleeping pill complaint. There's not much to be done about the need to dispense medication and collect vital stats, but the new technology makes it possible for the hospital to provide huge amounts of information to the patient about what is happening and about what will happen. It was surprisingly quiet in the hospital, and the only real noise in my room was from a heart rate monitor. Earplugs fixed that. I wake easily and go back to sleep quickly, so the meds and vitals weren't a problem either. 
Being hospitalized created several insights because I had reduced physical and mental capabilities along with limited computing equipment. It was frustrating to know that a task I could complete at home on the computer in 30 seconds might take 10 or 15 minutes or even more, sometimes a lot more, just to figure out how to do it in the hospital. For example, I wanted to change the banner photo on my Facebook page. That's something I do every Thursday, and I spend more time identifying which photo to use than uploading it. On the phone, I found the photo to use in less than a minute, but then I spent nearly 30 minutes trying to figure out how to get that image in a position on the smartphone where I could upload it to Facebook. The experience helped me to understand the frustrations people have when they just want to get something done using their computer. I like to understand how a task is done and why the developers decided to do it that way. But an overload of trying to figure out new methods and reasons behind those methods wasn't pleasant or easy. The technology may be limited, but having a smartphone available is a gigantic improvement. Hospitals aren't conducive to clear thinking for patients. A doctor, nurse, technician, or therapist comes to your room, does something, and explains what was done. The days are long gone when medical personnel wrote observations on clipboards that hung from beds. Everything is recorded using a computer terminal, and that information is available immediately on the patient's phone. When medications are administered, the patient's ID bracelet is scanned, so is the medication package. The phone app shows medications that have been given, as well as those scheduled to be given in the next 12 to 24 hours. Some people may understand a message from a doctor or nurse and retain it, but that's not always the case for me. Even if I understand the message, I may not remember it. And that can be a serious problem with discharge instructions. The patient who is being released will usually receive printed instructions, but it's even better if this information is forwarded to the patient's phone. The discharge summary is essential because it includes information about the process and about what the patient is expected to do after leaving the hospital. Details of operations and procedures are also stored in the online chart so that they can be reviewed at any time. If the patient wants to know more, calling up the appropriate document is easy. Some insurance companies maintain near real-time summaries of procedures, requests, approvals, and costs. My wife and I have opted for one of the more comprehensive insurance plans that we believed would cover our needs as we grow older. Seeing larger expenses reduced to low or no co-pays didn't eliminate pain or accelerate recovery, but it did relieve a lot of our stress. Hospital food. That was once a derogatory term used to describe tasteless, overcooked, underspiced entrees and side dishes. These were seemingly designed to put the patient entirely off food for the duration. Every patient received the same selections at the same time. Today's hospitals do a much better job. Patients receive a menu, and they can order a meal when they want it, much like hotel room service. A smartphone is not needed to place an order, but the kitchen's number can be stored in the patient's phone. That eliminates the need to retrieve the room phone, which always seems to be out of reach, look up the 10-digit number, and enter it. Smartphones may not be medical devices in any sense of the term, but they do make dealing with medical problems a lot easier. By the way, for what it's worth, I wrote the first part of this article while I was still in the hospital using Google Documents and Android speech recognition. 
The system wasn't exactly perfect, but it turned out to be surprisingly functional. I was also able to learn some tricks about using the phone itself. Anyone who is used to having two large monitors, a full-size keyboard, a mouse, and all of the other advantages of a standard office setup will find it difficult to perform meaningful work on a phone. But the process improves with practice. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, system updates are generally good, but generally is not always. And I'm not talking about Windows here, or the Mac OS, or even Linux. My Samsung smartwatch seems to have received a software update shortly before the end of the year, and suddenly the watch's battery performance became unacceptable. The watch's operating system is called Wear, and it's probably based on Linux. There's some guesswork here, and I'll explain that in just a bit. Last year, I wrote about buying a smartwatch. There's a link to that older report on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The watch could monitor my heart rate, and that seemed like a good idea. But it also used Bluetooth to connect to my Android phone to keep it unlocked for four hours, as long as the watch and the phone were within about 30 feet of each other. Usually, they are. The phone was also connected to my primary computer via Bluetooth, but leaving the office area of the house was enough to break that connection and lock the phone. The watch was a big improvement. Now here's where the guesswork comes in. Around the third week of December, the watch started warning me each morning that it would soon be entering battery-saving mode because the battery's capacity was low, down around 10% usually. That was a huge change because I charged the battery every morning around 6 a.m. and normally it still had at least 50% of its capacity remaining. A DuckDuckGo search led me to a page on Samsung's website. That page offered suggestions for actions to take if battery performance was unsatisfactory. Turn off unused functions, it said. Unused functions were already off and I turned off even more features that I actually wanted to use. Update your apps. Well, they were all up to date. Update your software. It was up to date. I ran through all of the options and expected the problem to be resolved, but the battery was still around 10% the next morning. I continued tinkering with settings for a few days and was about to open a warranty repair case when a notice on the Microsoft PhoneLink application showed a message indicating that the watch's software had been updated. The watch battery was still at 80% capacity the next morning, and it has been since then. Here's the guesswork. My assumption is that Samsung issued a badly flawed update that caused battery problems and then issued a replacement that fixed the problem. I could say conclusively that that was the case or not if Samsung had simply released any information about the update, but they didn't. I did find similar complaints about battery problems caused by bad updates dating all the way back to 2019. 
So apparently, they've done this before. Version 22H2 of Windows 11 was released on the 20th of September 2022, not long before I was incapacitated for a while. So this is a delayed thank you to Windows developers for finally adding tabs to the Windows File Explorer. Web browsers and several other types of applications already have tabs, and it's about time for that feature to come to the File Explorer. The first thing you'll probably notice when opening File Explorer is a plus sign at the right of the default tab. By default, the initial view is called Home, and it displays your quick access locations. You'll probably notice ellipsis points that lead to a menu with infrequently used functions. It's at the right of the menu line. That makes the ribbon much cleaner. The default quick access locations view contains locations formerly known as favorites. Having multiple tabs makes moving and copying files easier by allowing drag-and-drop operations instead of using Ctrl-C and Ctrl-X to copy or cut an item, and then Ctrl-V to copy or move it. Overall, good job, Microsoft. You're only about half a decade late in providing that feature. So the tabs are welcome, but they're really not quite enough. I've used Qter for many years because it has even better functionality. The Q stands for Quad, and Qter can display one, two, three, or four folders simultaneously. That makes moving or copying files really easy. My preferred arrangement places a This Computer view in the top left and Favorites in the other three locations. The Favorites views display the folders I use most frequently, so access is really quick. For any other folders, having point-and-click access to any of the other drives makes drilling down quick and easy. It is possible to use Fancy Zones, a relatively new component of Power Toys for Windows, to arrange four instances of the File Explorer. Creating this arrangement takes time, though. Most people will probably need more than a minute to do it. Qter, on the other hand, can be set up to open with four windows by default. So, although tabs are a welcome addition to the File Explorer, they're simply not enough for me to banish Qter from the computer. You won't need tabs to read 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website, but your browser probably does have them. In 2003, Microsoft was just beginning to move into manufacturing hardware. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session. <music>